Welcome to Popped, a podcast where you can learn about and relive some of the best that entertainment has to offer. We'll revisit some of our favorite films, music, and media that helped influence and shape our lives. Here are your hosts, Daniel and Ben. And Tanya. The date is March 24th, 1984. For the next several hours, we are stuck in the obscenely nice library of Shermer High School in suburban Chicago. Rather than writing a thousand-word essay on who we think we are, we thought it would be way more fun to spend our time bantering about one of the most iconic Gen X movies of the 80s, The Breakfast Club. It is rumored that John Hughes wrote The Breakfast Club over the course of two days, July 4th and 5th of 1982 to be exact, when he was just 32 years old. It was released by Universal Studios on February 15th, 1985. It only cost $1 million to make and went on to gross $51.5 million at the worldwide box office. The story centers around five disparate teenagers forced to sacrifice their Saturday in detention. It stars Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy, all of whom would become noted Gen X icons and members of the Brat Pack. Vice Principal Vernon was played by Paul Gleason, while the omnipresent and sage janitor was portrayed by John Capellas. Molly Ringwald had already been in 16 Candles and would go on to star in another huge 80s John Hughes hit, Pretty in Pink. Her acting and television credits reads like Santa's Christmas list. Emilio Estevez blazed a path in St. Elmo's Fire, The Outsiders, Men at Work, Repo Man, The Mighty Ducks, Young Guns, and its sequel, Young Guns 2. Anthony Michael Hall was originally typecast as a geek and can be seen in 16 Candles and Weird Science. He broke that mold years later in Edward Scissorhands, Six Degrees of Separation, Pirates of Silicon Valley, and one of my favorites, USA Network's adaptation of the Stephen King novel, The Dead Zone. Ali Sheedy, already known for war games, went on to do Short Circuit and its sequel, Short Circuit 2, Made to Order, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Red Shoe Diaries, Shelter Island, and X-Men The Apocalypse, as well as a string of other films. Her television credits are too long to list, as she was consistently employed with guest starring roles. Judd Nelson, a method actor who rubbed Hughes the wrong way by staying in character and harassing the other characters on set, went on to do St. Elmo's Fire, Transformers the movie, From the Hip, New Jack City, Airheads, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and a long list of other notable performances. The Breakfast Club was shot in sequence in the gym of Maine North High School, located in De Plains, Illinois, which was retrofitted into the library where our cast of angsty teens spend their Saturday. Hughes credits Ned Tannen, then a studio executive at Universal, for helping get the film made and taking a chance on what had been a highly, highly unorthodox formula for a teen movie of the time. Initial reviews ranged from glowing to tepid, but it was generally well-received by critics and audiences alike. Gene Siskel referred to the movie as having passion and intelligence and lauded its more honest handling of the actual lives of teenagers. Still love that song. Never get tired of it. Yeah, I think Jim Kerr has one of the best voices of any singer of all time because it's so baritone and deep and wonderful. And yeah, it's an earworm for sure. Yeah, it's, it is literally the 80s personified for me. It is so iconic. 
And when you think about it, the band does not like that song. <laughs> they hate performing that song. Really? Um, it's their only number one hit. When you consider <laughs> all the work they did to get up there on the stage, having been a musician myself, I know how much time and, and blood, sweat, and tears you put into making music to have somebody write that song and give it to you. <laughs> and then that's the one that makes it to number one. Yeah, that would kind of stick in my craw. Do you think that the song was a hit because of The Breakfast Club? Or do you think that it would have been a hit without The Breakfast Club? I want to say I think it would have been a hit without. It may not have been as big. Um, I, I am in the opposite camp as Ben, I think. I think that uh-huh. childhood me loved the song because of the movie. And I think that the emotional connection, particularly for people in our age group at that time, really propelled that song forward. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think that the song definitely got more noticed because this film was so big. Yeah. You know, it's with music a lot of time, it's not so much about how great something is. It's about how much exposure it gets. So I I think in a way you're both right. I think the song would have been popular on its own, but I, I also think that the movie really propelled it and launched it. That would be kind of where I come on that. But, uh, Anyway, John Hughes. What do y'all think of John Hughes? John Hughes, honestly, I remember the name. I know he's done a lot of movies that I have watched. I don't know which specific ones other than Breakfast Club. Ferris Bueller, um, 16 16 Candles, Candles. Weird Science. Okay, Um, yeah, absolutely love the man. Yeah, he's, I mean, the the guy's a genius. And, you know, it's funny because we're going to do later on in this episode, all of us have brought our top five teen movies lists, right? Wait, and we were supposed to put a list together. <laughs> Crap, where's my pen? <laughs> Get it together, man. But calling things teen movies in a way is kind of denigrates them, right? Um, in fact, I had to remove certain films from my list because I felt like calling them teen films did them a disservice. And I, I guess it should be clear too, right now, that if we talk about teen films, we're not trying to denigrate them because, in my opinion, they're sort of they're aimed at a teen audience. And the point is obviously to bring that crowd in. Before The Breakfast Club, there weren't a lot of teen films that uh, focused on the minutiae of teen life. And uh, I think that's what really made this such a powerful film. What do you guys think? I would agree with that. I also think that he did a very good job of making well-rounded characters that were not just there to be a specific thing type of person like I'm the pretty girl like they were very fleshed out um, with a lot of different motivations um, which I think is a rare or was a rare thing for the time yeah is there ever a moment where you doubt who these characters are no no I I think that there are moments where let me think about that I Ben say what you want to say because I have something I want to say but I can't formulate it yet well it's not so much that I had anything I wanted to say I pose that question because for me, those characters are so believable. They're very well written. They're very realistic. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that John Hughes allowed them quite a bit of input, allowed them to ad lib a lot of things. Obviously, the most realistic of them is the guy who stayed in character even when the cameras weren't rolling. (laughs) Right. I mean, he showed up in those clothes for the audition. Is that right? It is. And it's, I remember absolutely loving John Bender when I was a kid. He, he acted out all of my, my angry young man, like <laughs> issues. Yeah. Now I watch it, you know, and I think, wow, 
not so much my my hero anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Bender did yeah. not necessarily age well. No, definitely not. I mean, <clears throat> you couldn't remake that film today no. because um, he literally. I mean, at the harassment that he engages into all of the other characters, mm. not only would be looked at as bullying, but it's also sexual harassment and all kinds of stuff. Things that, yeah. you know, back then, I mean, kids did this to each other. This was accepted. We didn't call it sexual harassment. We called it, you know, this guy is, you know, he's being a jackass. We I don't may know if have you have a different other person. words at the time. Yeah. I mean, Tanya, would you have a different perspective on that, seeing as you are our new female cast member here. And <laughs> this is something that has been very prevalent lately in years with the me too movement. Um, where, where do you sit on that? Yeah, most definitely. I think that when I was a kid watching the movie, I will kind of echo what you said. I really thought that John Bender was this cool bad boy, you know? Um, but it was, what was it? The early eighties, different time. Women did not, sort of get the same respect just in any course of life. I think at that time that they do now, just with all the advancements that have been made. Mm -hmm. Um, But Bender was an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he really, you know, I mean, uh, you can sort of tell that he was written where his assholiness came from a place of deep hurt and vulnerability. They kind of, talk about that but at the same time that's not an excuse for assault (laughs) that is highly problematic for me i just yeah not something that would ever happen today i remember at the time i i loathed john bender hated the hell out of him because i saw in him half of the kids that used to threaten me in high school and when i say threaten i mean actively tell me they were going to beat the crap out of me and the other half were emilio estevez's part andy the jock bender was by far the the more hateable. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. I think one nice thing about this film to me is that I have felt that a little bit of each of those characters, maybe not so much Claire. I probably identify with her the least, you know, because I grew up, you know, pretty much poor. There's just that. But all the other characters, I feel like I have some sort of connection to and was at one point in my life. Obviously, the dork early on and in my junior high year is more of a jock, believe it or not. I was very into sports and um, whatnot. I didn't have the the parents pushing, pushing me like he did. Yeah. And then I got into high school and uh, I was very much the, more like John Bender in the early years, not as abusive to other people, uh, but I did have my moments. And then I became more of the Allison character later on, uh, especially as I got into music and uh, kind of went down that road. Who do you guys identify with? I think mostly for me, I'm a cross between Brian, the brain, and Allison, for sure, because she's weird and different. And I was definitely, I followed your dork path also. <laughs> that, was, that was definitely a part of who I was, particularly junior high, early high school. Um, and then got to a place where I was like, you know what? I don't give a crap anymore. And then I sort of morphed into more of an Alan Sinney person. I also find her to be the character of the three that I respect the most, or out of the five, excuse me, that I respect the most, because she just seems to be the most <laughs> honest 
of all of them even though she's a compulsive liar. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but I was thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Did we watch the same movie? <laughs> Honest about herself. I mean, in terms of like the way that she, the way that she presents herself to the world felt more honest than everybody else. She does seem to be more clear about who she is. Uh, yeah. whereas, um, whereas the rest are a little bit further away from figuring themselves out. When I, when I first saw the, the film, I remember thinking to myself, well, the geek, because that's the social circle I'm in. That's from the, so from the chess club. I with. From the chess club. And uh, the Latin club. <laughs> and the physics club. Physics and club. And, <laughs> and the math club. And then, uh, yes. Um, no, we, we legit had a role-playing gaming club. That's yeah, social. At, at my high school. Demented and sad, sad but social. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. In physics, we we, uh, we talk about physics, uh, properties of physics. So it's sort of social. Demented and sad, but social, right? <laughs> uh, it's almost like John Bender was watching. But at the same time, later on, years later, I, f- I figured out that regardless of who my friends were, um, and, and this is not a comment on the quality of friends that I had. I had very good friends, but I still always felt like I was such a complete misfit everywhere that I realized the character that I, th- that I really felt more like was Allison. We were all Allison. Maybe that's why point. we're getting along pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, Allison's the one that stuck for me. I, you know, um, even the later years, even yeah. now. I was going to say, that's the one I identify with now. Yeah. All right. So Allison's our hero. There we go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, before we go into the other characters too much, <clears throat> any uh, or any further, uh, I kind of want to talk about that intro. Ali Sheedy came up with the David Bowie quote that's at the beginning of the film. That was her contribution because I don't remember what was supposed to be there, but she showed it to John Hughes, and he said, "Oh, hmm, okay, nice." Kind of took it and. She never heard anything again until she saw the film and saw the quote up there and was like, I did that. I came up with that. <laughs> cool. Pretty cool. And the only reason I know that is because I watched the special features last night and she talks about uh-huh. that. So it's pretty, I thought that was awesome because David Bowie and that song sort of really fits this, even though you never hear changes in the soundtrack. So you get that, the opening montage, the locker where the uh, flare exploded. (laughs) Yes. There's also written on the wall. I don't like Mondays, which the boomtown rats had a song called. I don't like Mondays. Uh, I remember that song. Interestingly enough, little tidbit of trivia. The song was written about a girl who had taken a, I think it was a rifle into school and shot up a bunch of kids. It's kind of interesting that that teen angst is wow. very subtly put into or maybe not so subtly now to us now it's subtle because you know we're very far removed from that that moment in time but that was a big deal then i guess and uh it was put on the wall i don't like mondays so i just think that's cool now it's that's a great wild. time i had never heard about that yeah we know who everybody is in the beginning of this film one other thing that, that's in the opening montage that a lot of people miss, and I saw it last night, is that the janitor is in the school photos, and he's listed underneath his name, Man of the Year. 
1969 or something like that. I paused oh it when I saw his face, John Capellas, which I wow. just went online to figure out how to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it said man of the year, 1969. So he became the janitor. It's great metaphor for the, the characters in this film, right? They could go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And the janitor though, like, I mean, he's a janitor and depending on sort of what circle of life you hold to, he could be conceivably looked down upon, but every out of every character in the entire film, like he is the one that I have the infinite amount of respect for because he seems so grounded Mm -hmm. and just so wise in a way that none of the other characters are. Um, Yeah. So he's cool. Yeah. I completely agree. But I did not know that that is an excellent little catch. Something to watch when you, something to watch for when you watch the film again. Yeah. We know who all of these people are the second they drive up in the beginning of the film. And I think this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant writing and directing when they Claire pulls up in the BMW, which is actually John Hughes BMW, by the way. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. You already know who she is. I mean, maybe check it. Wasn't it? I think it was a Mercedes. Wasn't it a Mercedes? No, it's BMW. Um, It was. Yeah. Okay. Eh, You know, BMW Mercedes. (laughs) What's Same difference. difference? <laughs> <laughs> Shows how much I know about cars. Cool. So Claire is in detention for ditching school and shopping. She got caught. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make you a defective. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so trite, but it was the reality of this character. You know, uh, she felt that she didn't deserve to be there, which, you know, if you're privileged, mm-hmm. Of course, you don't deserve to be there. I'm privileged, you know. Yeah. Brian, well, if sorry, shouldn't apply to me. With regards to Claire too being dropped off, she says specifically to her dad, "I can't believe you couldn't get me out of this." And he comes across to me as such a doting enabler. Yeah, that you know she yeah. has no sense of responsibility because he consistently hands her everything. You know, so regardless of whether they have money or not, or you have money or not, parent like that is never good. It might be sort of social commentary. Brian pulls up with his mom and sister, who were actually Anthony Michael Hall's real mom and sister. Were they? Yeah. They pull up in that sedan and uh, she scolds him about (laughs) studying while he's in detention. (laughs) Yeah. You know who he is right away. Andrew pulls up in the Bronco with his dad mm-hmm. and uh, his dad. Oh, you know, I screwed around. There's nothing wrong with that, except you got caught sport. There's a deleted line there. It's interesting. I found this online and I'm only going to bring it up because today, once again, this is something you would never do. You would never put this line in a film now, uh, but apparently they considered it. And, for, and I guess to John Hughes credit, he took the line out where he says, no school is going to give a scholarship to a discipline case, dot, 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 especially a white one, was the rest of that line. Didn't know if you knew that, but uh, wow. I know that. Yeah. And uh, they had the good sense to cut that line. 
it, it would be really indicative of his dad. I mean, it still fits the dad, but I'm kind of <laughs> glad it's gone. Yeah, that's a lot to process. Isn't it? Sorry, just hit you guys with that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> how do I answer this question? Uh, or this, how do I, how do I even talk about this? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty heavy. Keep using that word heavy. Is there something <laughs> wrong with the past? All right. <laughs> Allie gets dropped off and she leans over to, I don't know what, say goodbye to her mom or whoever's driving the car and they just drive off and leave for her. Yeah. And she's in the back seat of her parents' car. She's not even riding in the front seat up with her parents. That says so much and so sad. Just yeah, breaks my heart. how little they regard her. You're right. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's see. Bender shows up. He has no yeah. parental support at all. What's hilarious about that, though, is he's taking on the responsibility as responsibility to get his ass to detention. You know, without having parental guidance, he's like, "Well, I've got to go do what I got to do." That's a good point. Which is ironic yeah let's think about that for a second why is he going to detention is he going there specifically to disrupt it or is he does he feel that responsibility uh, what what made him compelled him to come into this detention he could have ditched it right it's possible that he had an awareness that the consequences would continue to get worse if he just skipped it entirely but that's only a hypothetical i can't say that i'm convinced of that right because not too long after he's challenging vernon and Vernon keeps right. giving him more Saturdays, right? Any questions? Yeah, I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Andrew Clark, get up here. Come on, front and center. Let's go. Hey, how come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Yeah. And it's almost like he wants it. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Also too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that's, that's a scene that I think about a lot um, when I think about this movie, because I have, that's one behavior that I remember seeing a lot from, from my peers when I was a teen, they would think, well, if I, if I just seem angry enough and give enough attitude back to this authority figure, that'll show them that they're wrong and they should stop. And it just doesn't, work that way clearly right there they're showing us he, he doesn't necessarily have an immediate awareness of consequences challenging authority is very much a teen sort of thing because they're telling you what to do you know you you don't have any freedom really of choice you have <laughs> right. to be at school you have to go to detention you have to do your homework you have to do this you have to do that and by the time you're a teenager and starting to turn into an adult you start to realize that adults don't always truly know what they're talking about you know, that's when that really kind of comes clear to you. Yeah. And then you start to challenge them. I mean, I know I challenged my parents at times. Um, and I, I definitely challenged teachers, um, which, you know, I, I kind of regret now. Um, <laughs> but at the time, I felt justified in it because who are you to tell me what to do all the time, you know? And so, I mean, of course, there were some unreasonable teachers. I was thinking back to talking about the, the characters being fully well fleshed out. Um, and I agree with that. There's one, though, that I thought was overdone just a touch um, and at times approached a caricature, 
but didn't didn't quite get there. But still, I had difficulty believing it simply because I had never encountered that before. Can't remember if it's a vice principal or or assistant principal. Um, now I'm blanking on his name. Vernon. Vernon. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> um, uh, it's just that he was every minute that he was on screen, he was antagonizing. Well, well, here we are. I want to congratulate you for being on time. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to think about why you're here, to ponder the error of your way, and you may not talk. You will not move from these seats, and you will not sleep. And when I say essay, I mean essay. My office is right across that hall. Any monkey business is ill-advised. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. Well, okay, except when he was alone in his office, having difficulty with his coffee cup with an orange slice in his mouth. Um, then he was being shown to be the buffoon. Uh, but it, his every interaction uh, was was just purely, I'm, I'm going to crush your spirit. I'm going to make you miserable. Uh, and I thought that was a little bit, two-dimensional um not quite not quite three yeah i would agree except for the when he talks to the janitor you understand why he feels that anger um he feels like the respect level's gone and all that and it's really a failing of his own because he his life didn't turn out the way he wanted it to and the janitor says that you know you thought you'd take a teaching job and it would be easy. But then you found out it was real work. He's like, no, it's these kids. They, you know, that's less and less respect every year. And I, I uh, stay awake at nights or whatever he, he says, um, worrying the thing about that keeps me up at night. Yeah. The thing that keeps me up at night is knowing these kids are going to take care of me when I get older. And the janitor says, <laughs> I wouldn't count on it. You know, right. it's a real moment of realization there. And, uh, it's interesting because he, I mean, he is a jackass. He's specifically a jackass. And I mean, tell me you haven't known people like this in your life. I have. Um, they're, they're, he's a complete, well, here we go. And we've had this, and this is maybe a trope, is the narcissist, right? Because we've had a narcissist in every film we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. Except maybe Ghostbusters was, I, I guess, Venkman might have been a nurse, bit of a narcissist. I was going to say, Venkman is he's a different flavor of narcissist, but he's definitely all about himself. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you've got Vernon checking himself out in the reflection of the fire extinguisher, <laughs> you know, he walks around and he does, you know, was that guy, whatever that thing he does. <laughs> <laughs> sounded, sounded to me like Haga Daga. <laughs> for all the years since the very first time I saw that, just those syllables, hagaraga, have stuck in my brain. As and, that's got to be the most cringe thing I've ever heard a person say. Yet, yet I love it because <laughs> yes. it's so weird. But it's great. It's like one of those like <laughs> he's so absolutely full of himself, right? It, it, I don't know. It's like a martial arts thing, or what the hell is it? <laughs> <laughs> It's a moment of sheer acting brilliance, in my my opinion. It's like Ricky jumping up after that balloon, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> I kind of feel bad for him because if you think about it, 
Vernon is also in detention. You know, he's stuck there too. I had yeah. that feeling when they shoot him in the office, but I think it's before he has his lunch and he's got that little sculpture that he made with the pencils and the styrofoam cups. And <laughs> yeah. like, he is just as bored as they are. And he is, yeah, he is absolutely punishing himself in the same way he's punishing his students. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I did sympathize with him a little more on my last viewing of it than I did when I watched it growing up. I thought he was the biggest dick in the world watching it growing up. Now it's like, well, he's dealing with, you know, borderline criminal in the other room who's challenging <laughs> him every time he opens his mouth. I personally That's don't think bad. I'd lose my my temper with the kids the way he did, but I mean, if you take somebody who's got a short fuse and you put them in that situation, you can kind of see him, you know, going that way. Yeah. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I do think that he is a good vehicle, though, uh, for our five characters to kind of get together in a way that they wouldn't had they had supportive adults on their campus. You know, you, you really get the sense because they're dealing with such mindless authority Mm-hmm. that they do have to take on a lot of responsibility trying to figure themselves out without any support. So I think that also helps drive the story forward a bit too. Well he's a yeah he is a representation of authority figures, of their parents, all of yeah. those things wrapped into one character because we don't get their parents on screen. We get Principal Vernon and he sort of does to them what they already experience in their home life especially Bender because he literally gets Bender alone in that closet and physically threatens him. Not there. He says that one day he'll find him and I'm going to kick the living shit out of you, man. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. It's a pretty intense scene. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It oddly enough off camera, they all love this guy. Um, Paul Gleason. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially Judd Nelson. He was like, you know, this guy was, was the best, you know, he's like, just such a good guy off, uh, you know, off screen. Um, that's that's all in the special features. I, I recommend watching because, but Judd Nelson to me personally <laughs> is awesome when he, he's still in d- yeah. damn character. When he talks about Bender, he really? sits there and he says, he refers to himself in the first person like, Oh yeah. <laughs> when I did this and when I did that, and I just, <laughs> I adore that. I think that's fantastic. You know? Oh, so that's neat. how can you not love Judd Nelson, the actor? Because he's just great. Um, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed him and the things I've seen. I am the eyes and the ears of this institution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Carl, I love yeah. Carl. I, I'll find that quote and, and add that in because that that right there oh, is yes. a landmark quote that defines your janitor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What, what are some of the other cool things that happen in here? Um, Brian the dork <laughs> when <laughs> Bender's harassing him about being a cherry and he says he's not a cherry <laughs> and he motions to Claire as if he's had something going on with Claire and he talks about this girl in Canada. <laughs> so Claire, in addition to all the girls in the Niagara Falls area <laughs> that Brian's got something with, he says you and he are currently riding a hobby horse, more sexual harassment. But now he's harassing both of them. And 
you know, we, we call it sexual harassment, but I think what Bender did is he went after everybody where he felt they were weak. And yeah. with yeah. Claire, it just happened to be sexual. Now, I'm not excusing the behavior. I'm just saying that that was where he chose to go with her. With Brian, he went after him for being a dork, uh, for his uh, leave it to beaver style family life. You know, he went after the jock. Oh, wouldn't that be a bunch missing the wrestling meet? You know, and he attacked everybody based off of their stereotypes and um, went after them where they were weak. Now, the only person he didn't was Allison, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Left her alone. It's the one person he didn't antagonize, which is interesting. He had one brief moment uh, before she started talking. Uh, she reacted to something Claire said by simply calling out, ha! He looked at Allison and said, I've seen you before, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and just that. That's as close as he ever came to harassing Allison. Maybe that was enough. Maybe. Yeah. He did uh, say, though, if you keep eating your hand, you're not going to have any room for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> I think that's about it, though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many good quotes in this film that come from these moments, too. The sushi quote. When Claire opens her lunch. Sushi? <laughs> Rice, uh, raw fish, and seaweed. You won't accept a guy's tongue in your mouth and you're going to eat that? Can I eat? I don't know. Give it a try. I, I'll eat the fried stuff, but raw fish, no thanks. Don't give me anything raw. Hey, um, I'll have yours. You can have it. You can have the parasites with it too. You know, fine. Anyway. Excellent. Yummy. You just, have to go to, you just have, you have to get high in sushi. That's it. Uh, no, no buffets. No sushi yeah. buffets. Yeah, raw, the the texture of raw fish is is something that just does not work for me. But that line, you know, you won't accept a guy's tongue in your mouth, but you're going to eat that. <laughs> I, I, I'm there. <laughs> I'm so there. <laughs> How about Andrew's huge lunch? Andrew's lunch is terrifying to oh me now. God, when I was when I was a teenager, I thought, okay, that's a big lunch, but yeah, that that's. It's kind of reasonable if you're an athlete and you're hungry. Now, as a grown-up who no longer has the metabolism of a teenage boy, that <laughs> terrifies me. Yeah, <laughs> that's like four lunches right there. He is a sporto. Yeah, you know, that and it makes sense because when you're training as a, you know if for football for any kind of sport, you tend to eat a lot. I just wonder if he I, packed his own lunch or if his father packed it for him. Probably, I would, I would say his dad. Either his dad or maybe his mom, depending on the dynamics of that family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we never hear about his mom, do we? We only hear about his dad. No. no. Yeah. Only hear um, about the dad. Yeah. She's sort of an assumed figure. But yeah. Um, but the, the way his dad acted t toward him and the way he described his dad doesn't seem like a dad who would pack a lunch to me. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Mm, yeah. Um, Excellent point. So it's possible Andrew packed his own lunch at, or maybe. Depending on what she was like, maybe his mom packed his lunch. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's amazing how deep we've gone with the lunch. <clears throat> deep <laughs> philosophical discussions with Popped. These are very important questions. Who packed the lunch? You know, let's put a poll up. <laughs> We're going to put a poll up on our page. Who packed Andrew's lunch? Who packed Andrew's lunch? Yes. There you go. Um, <laughs> then we get to... One thing that occurred oh, to me. 
Mm-hmm. We're still on the lunch here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's just make the whole episode about the lunch. <laughs> <laughs> the Breakfast Club, Andrew's lunch. Um, I remember it occurred to me, even the first time I watched it, however many years ago it was, that Andrew's lunch bag is essentially a clown car. It is. It's the same. It's the same gag. Yeah. As a clown car, <laughs> stuff just keeps coming out of it. There's, there's still more. Yeah. It reminds me of like the the Carbonaro effect, where uh, he starts pulling things out of a lunchbox or something, and just keeps pulling stuff out. He's a magician. I don't know if you've ever seen the Carbonaro okay. effect, but it's it's I fabulous. He pulls ma- magic okay. tricks on unsuspecting people. Neat. So, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Let's talk about Brian's lunch, PB and J with the crust cut off. <laughs> <laughs> That's always been a detail that I it didn't communicate clearly to me what was going on. There was clearly something there. Overly protective parents, people, parents that will do anything for him. They cut the the crust off of the bread. They go to that detail to, because he thinks that his parents dote on him. Dora. Yeah. You are a parent's wet dream. Okay. Okay. And that was the point of that was, you know, right afterwards he goes into that big spiel about, you know, going fishing on the weekend. Oh, dad, I've got homework to do. That's okay, son. You can do it on the boat. You know, he's painting him as this, uh, what, Norman Rockwell, leave it to beaver style kid whose parents, you know, love and take care of him and baby and coddle him. And I think that's where the PBJ with the crust cutoff came from. So the crust being cut off was the one thing to give Bender that impression? I just think he mentioned it as a form of saying your parents coddle you. I mean, I, that's what I got from it. I, I, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying that's what I got out of it. Okay. Um, Brian's lunch leads it to Bender doing these impress impersonations, right? He impersonates Brian's yeah. family and insults him, you know, basically says that he's got, you know, this perfect life and his parents coddle him and oh, poor Brian. And then he goes into a a day because um, Estevez character, Andrew Clark challenges him about, you know, what life is like at his house. What about where one of the quotes that I know literally word for word, stupid, worthless, no good, goddamn freeloading, son of a bitch, retarded, big mouth, know it all asshole jerk. You forgot ugly, lazy, and disrespectful. Shut up, bitch. Go fix me turkey pot pie. I mean, I can keep going. That's, (laughs) I memorized that for some reason. So, yeah, I mean, but he has some of the most quotable lines in the film. Yes. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely his, the the character of John Bender is the first one that pops into my mind whenever someone says Breakfast Club. You know, they're all there, but he's the first one. He's definitely the most prominent, most memorable character. Most me. vocal. Tanya was asking about Neo Maxi Zune Dweeby. And yes. I, uh, yes. And you went a, you did a deep dive on this. I did. I went online to, to try to find out exactly what the word is. And almost every web page I went to said Zoom. And it's not Zoom. I listened very closely to the film last night. He says Zune. Zune. Nobody he made this Okey-dokey. he made this up. This is something he made up then as an insult. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And uh, it's brilliant. It's ad lib. It's another ad lib from this film that's brilliant. I'm right. starting to see a theme with movies we watch that we really like. There tend to be quite a bit of ad libs that they keep. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense too, because I mean, in the moment, especially if your actors are really in the character and really channeling them, mm-hmm. they're going to come up with things if they're allowed that will speak to who the character is. Yeah. And, and the delivery will always be more genuine that way too. Yeah. There's a joke with no punchline after Bender gets locked in the closet and he's walking along the ceiling. Oh, yes. I have always wondered what the punchline to that was going to be. There is no punchline. I know. Uh, he made that up on the spot as well. Did he? And, yeah. And, <laughs> it's, it's, and the I forgot my pencil line after he fell through yeah. was also <laughs> ad-libbed. <laughs> he like ad-libbed his whole, his whole script. That always reminded me of the Van Halen song, <clears throat> Hot for Teacher. I brought my pencil. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I always wondered if he got that from there. Plus, that character always reminded me a bit of David Lee Roth. Might have been partly the face and partly the voice. Definitely. And of course, he. A lot of people credit him as the inspiration for the future grunge movement. His clothing. Seriously. Yeah, and I don't oh, know how I- true that is. But if you look okay. at his clothing, it, he's got the flannel shirt, um, right. you know, the disheveled pants and shoes and all that it's sort of, I guess it makes sense. It I mean, does. his, he's, his clothes are very much like a thrift store, like menagerie. Yeah. Hmm. That's neat. I hadn't, had not heard that opinion, but I certainly couldn't say that I, I wouldn't argue against it either. Another notable brilliant performance and i gotta say this i i just think that anthony michael hall is so damn good in this film um and we see it really start when they all get high <laughs> and he's you know give me the keys no <laughs> you know he's <laughs> that's a different high scene in a different movie different movie <laughs> chicks can't hold a smoke or whatever he says um it's That's just another, we'll do that movie later. It's so brilliant. Well, you know, he says that in here. Chicks cannot hold their smoke. That's what it is. Oh, they can't hold their smoke part. Yeah, yes. they can't hold their smoke. Um, it's just he's so good at it. And when he gets sincere and he really is wounded and hurt, and he starts to cry later on, you know, and he when he yells at Claire, well, fuck you, you know, and he starts crying. Man. Yeah. That tore me apart watching that last night. I, I was, I was in it, absolutely in it. And he, I never really had put much stock into what he had brought to that role, but I really examined it last night, and um, I think he was fantastic. Just, um, it's my opinion. I, who, who stands out for you guys when you think of this film? Which performances really get you? I will say that Anthony Michael Hall, the reveal as to why he was there. Every time I watched it growing up, always bald. Like it was just very heart-wrenching. So in terms of the emotional emotionality, that was definitely the performance that got me the most. Anthony Michael Hall, when, when I was younger, his his was the performance that stood out f- far beyond the, the others for me. The last time I rewatched it, 
short while ago, I found someone else's performance standing out more. Simply things that I noticed now as a grown-up that I did not notice as a kid. Allison really came through as someone who would love to fit in if she could, but is terrified of exactly the thing that she wants. She's completely afraid when when Claire decides to to give her an, an impromptu field makeover, the entire transformation, and she's she's utterly deathly afraid of what the reactions are going to be as she walks back out into the room to be seen. She was invisible before. Yeah. And she didn't love being invisible, but there was a certain protective comfort in that. So that really came through to me a whole lot more uh, right. this, this last time that I rewatched it. I, that's a good, that's a really good uh, perspective. Um, I like that because it, it's not one that would have, would have uh, come to me right off the bat. But uh, you're making me think about it, which is good job. <laughs> <laughs> the one problem I have with her character, though, is that in order for her to be seen and whatnot, she sort of had to sell out. And, yeah, I um, didn't love that. Yeah. I mean, she was fine how she was. I mean, yeah. they didn't need to do the, the little pink, you know, didn't need whatever. to do the Cinderella transformation. Yeah, that I thought felt like that went a little too far. Black shirt just put on some makeup. Ali Sheedy's gorgeous, you know, just put a little yeah. bit of makeup on her and transform her for the film would have been fine. You didn't need to go that far. I don't know. What do you think, Tanya? I don't know. Honestly, I loved her pre-makeover. I heard that look for me was great. I love the dark eye makeup. I mean, I get that like the big baggy clothes and stuff was all about hiding. Mm-hmm. Why all she had to do was just take off her jacket. And be like, this is who I am. Boom. Done. Like, I think that would have been I, much more yeah, powerful. I, I don't like the fact that she had to, like Claire made her Claire. Right. In a way, which I don't think was necessary. Yeah. I mean, if obviously I don't want to question John Hughes's genius here, but if I were to have done that scene right there, I think what you just said, maybe remove some of the bigger, bulkier clothing and there has to be a connection between her and Claire because what they're doing is establishing that that barrier is broken. Right. So she should help her a little, you know, maybe a little bit of makeup there. That's the only reason I would even touch on the makeup is because you want that physical connection and that barrier broken. But I, I, that would stop right there. That it would have been perfect. So yeah, there, there's a flaw in the film. I think personally that, um, I, I didn't particularly care for, but as far as what Ben said about the character, uh, the performance, um, yeah, she was great. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Because you have to be, she had to be understated the entire time yeah. for that character to work. And I think that's why I didn't notice it when I was younger is because yeah. it, it was understated. And when I was younger, my brain wasn't exactly picking up on subtleties. Subtle. Yeah. Yeah, but also too to have that much of an impact with really almost no lines like that Mm -hmm. really speaks just to her presence on screen too i think yeah yeah i agree let's talk about one of the subtle more subtle characters andrew clark yeah he had some great acting moments in this now (laughs) obviously he gets the over the top swing in his arms you know charging around the thing and screaming and breaking the glass. Some of that was kind of silly, but the moments where he shows true depth of character or when he is attempting to actually reach out to Allison. And this is before the transformation. 
right. mind you. Um, he's actually trying to get to know her in the hallway and she's rebuffing him at every opportunity. But uh, when he tells the story of how he got in there, you actually, I mean, yeah, you're a jackass, but you feel for him because you realize he did it out of, out of trying to impress his old man and out of the fear of not being good enough and wanting to be accepted. And what he does is terrible. And he's, you know, the fact that he recognizes that the person he tortured would have to explain it to his own father. That yeah. right there is power. And it's a great moment. I think it's a great moment in the film. It really humanizes Andrew Clark because I did not like Andrew Clark at all, <laughs> probably yeah. up until that moment. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Going back to where, when he and Allison are in the hallway and they're kind of having like that little heart to heart. And he says to Allison, what did, what do your parents do to you? And then all she says is they ignore me. And then there's a look on his face and it's so subtle, but you can tell initially he feels sympathy for her and he kind of goes, yeah, yeah. But then there's a moment where you almost see him wishing just for a moment that he would be ignored by his dad. Like you see it behind his eyes as that moment's being acted. It was just really, really beautifully done. I thought. Yes. I agree. Yeah. I saw exactly the same thing. And and I had the exact same thought. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think it was, as you said, excellently well done. I'm glad you brought it up because I had seen that as well and completely had forgotten about it until you mentioned it, which is uh, it's a wonderful observation. Claire's got the diamond earrings. Another thing that Bender picks on to mark her as a privileged person and wow she is she's extremely privileged you know diamond earrings high school student bmw um sushi you know 1980s eating sushi for lunch now i don't know sushi for four hours for lunchtime sitting in a lunch box even if you like sushi that's a little long for sushi to sit um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, oh, after, after I just everything. assumed there was a fridge in the cafeteria. Uh, yeah, they, uh, they didn't really go to that cafeteria though until much later in the film. <clears throat> so I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess we can assume for her health that <laughs> they put it in the fridge. <laughs> if that makes you feel better, <laughs> the diamond earrings became become a motif and later on in the film bender gets one of those diamond earrings she gives it to him in front of her parents whether or not they end up having anything go on past that moment claire looks like she's going to start rebelling i have to say something about that moment though i have i have issues issues Mm -hmm. with the fact that after everything that bender put her through like really, really being horrible to her emotionally, psychologically, basically sexually assaulting her. And then she's like, Oh my God, I think I want to date this guy. Cause he seems great. Like <laughs> That's a problem. And I, I wish maybe as a child, like 
that that was not a model of something that I would have been shown. Like my 13 year old old self could have lived without having that be a good idea um, the way that it was portrayed. So that kind of bothered me, but I don't know that she gave the earring to rebel so much as to just give a big fuck you to her parents. I mean, I think that she was going to still be who she was, but just kind of needed to assert a little bit of like independence and like, okay. don't really own me. That I was mean, my thought. giving a fuck you to her parents, I would call that rebelling, but. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I, I do think that Claire and Bender's relationship softened quite a bit by the time that happened. But I think you're right. And Molly Ringwald would agree with you. Mm. She wrote an op-ed in The New Yorker um, during uh, during the Me Too movement talking about that very thing. And yeah. it's actually a very well-written article. If uh, you get a chance to read it, go take a look at it. What you just said there is, uh, it's not word for word, but it's essentially the idea that she was getting across. Um, yeah. So we have these different types of characters in this film that are marginalized. They're wearing this, um, this sort of armor when they go in and the chinks in the armor happen as they go through this battle with each other, with the principal, with, as they wrestle with this idea of who they are and they ultimately end up with respect between each other. So it's sort of a moment where they get respect between their peers. And in the end, you get victory. You get Bender walking and pumping his fist mm-hmm. in the air, which was ad-libbed. Um, they, originally, <laughs> it was just him walking across the field. And then he said, you know, why don't you try doing a couple things? And I guess he did seven or eight things. And that was the one that stuck. And huh. it is the iconic Boom. When you think of, you know, the breakfast club, I mean, I think of that moment. Yeah. That is the moment. Wondering why I don't have a poster of that, you know, or some (laughs) sort of photo that stick on my wall. And when I get my little office together to, to, you know, for podcasting, I think that's something I'm going to get. Excellent. If any luck, I get it signed too. We'll see. (laughs) Um, Wouldn't it? It'd be great. So brain, athlete, basket case, princess, and a criminal. This was all in the letter. This is how they identify <laughs> themselves. I don't know as a kid if I would have identified myself like that. Like, oh, I'm a criminal. I'm a brain. You know, I felt that a little bit clunky, but the letter itself is still really good. Yeah. Any thoughts? Agreed. I also got the sense in a way that a lot of those labels were not necessarily ways that they would label themselves but how they were labeled by by the adults adults. Exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. That's great. Yeah. I like it. Um, Yeah. That was what I saw from it. I just, I guess one other thing is that I would say is that these characters still exist. It's this movie still relevant, even if it doesn't truly stand the test of time. Well, because of things like sexual harassment and whatnot, because times have changed in 35 years. Times have changed considerably, but still, it's still relevant in the fact that teens are always categorized and have to, you know, wade through the social waters of their peers. It also 
made me look now at like how millennials are treated and what they're yeah. putting up with because they're they're getting the short end of the stick from a lot of the older generations maybe not so much our generation gen x um i think we kind of understand millennials a little bit better than say the boomers do i'll say that watching it is not changed how i'm going to interact with millennials but it also it's it's maybe opened my eyes a little bit about how maybe my perceptions have changed as i've gotten older i sure as hell don't ever want to be a vernon you know <laughs> no don't mess with the bull young man you'll get the horns not that i want to be a janitor but i definitely like to be much more <laughs> like the janitor <laughs> yeah he is totally comfortable with who he is and and what he does in life yeah yeah what else what are any other thoughts you guys have on this i've kind of gone through my list of bullet points uh, one other thing that i kind of took issue with in the movie just in general um you had some really really great fleshed out stories for andy for brian for um bender in and for claire and allison they almost felt like afterthoughts in a way, like they didn't really get the same attention or gravity given to the male characters in the film, which was kind of a bummer a little bit, you know, but I get it. Um, Cause it was just the time. Well, Allison was um, all subtext though. Uh, Allison, everything was there. It just was, you had to pay attention to, to get that story. Claire, I agree. Yeah was that's very I, I, yeah okay yeah that's kind of a bummer just in terms of suspending judgment of people like that's such a good message for the film overall just as we move through life regardless of how old we are or whether we're looking at someone our age or younger or you never know really who people are what they're going through just based upon sort of their outward shell right. and pigeon pigeonholing people Although easy to do is probably not the best way to move through life. Yeah. Good point. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I really resist um, labeling. It's something that has bugged me for a long time. Um, it's one of the reasons I turned into sort of an Allison later, you know, as I got older. Uh, but even at our age, even now, people spend so much time trying to identify who and what they are. And label themselves. And it's like, stop doing that. Just be yourself. You know, why do you have to be this acronym and that acronym and this acronym? You know what? I like you anyway. You don't need to define to me who you are. I, I, if I like you already, you're good. Um, and I know for some people, they feel like they have to do that. This is how they, you know, create their identity or put themselves out in the world. But it's something that I'm naturally resistant to. I don't know why I'm going off on this, you know, tangent, but uh, it, it, this sort of made me think of that. Well, yeah, I think it's a totally reasonable tangent that the theme of the the overall theme of the movie is that whatever people label you, you're still you, and you can also realize that other people are still whoever they are as well. And yeah, we can apply labels to people, but that doesn't really that doesn't tell us their truths. Exactly. Well I, said. Well I, said. Yeah, well said. And I do feel, though, that people have flipped that almost, and they've started to I, to label themselves, which I find dangerous too. Yes. You know, um, I just 
personally would like to see labels drop. Um, it, it's, it happens in a lot of things too. Like if you notice music, music used to be what? Um, pop, rock, R&B, and classical and whatnot. Now, you know, then there was alternative music. And then there's alt-indie uh, or indie music, uh, funk. Then there's every type of techno music you can think of. I mean, there's like 20 different delineations of the music. <laughs> and I yeah. find myself tired when I, see, when I hear <laughs> another label or another split. I feel like it's just so muddy anymore. And um, it means nothing to me. I was going to say, they're losing their meaning because there's too many of them. Didn't Billy Joel say it best? It's still rock and roll to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's also very self-limiting, too, to be like, I am this, or right. I am going to, you know, this is how I define myself, and therefore I cannot move beyond the confines of this. What yeah. a bummer. Like, what a that's not the way to like have a good, happy life. I agree. So yes, my office is open Tuesdays at seven. <laughs> we, got, we, we can talk. We got Tanya Bobby McFerrin here. Don't worry. Be happy. It's funny. I went another direction. I was seeing Lucy with her, with her little booth. The psychiatrist was in <laughs> breakfast club was a fun look back at a, at a really good film with some great moments. Yeah. Anybody have anything else I want to say? Oh, we had another review, by the way, um, Aha. on Apple podcasts. I guess it was after the Ghostbusters episode. I don't know who left it. It's anonymous. Okay. Um, and I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like um, that anonymous person really gets around a panty dropping. Good time. <laughs> <laughs> and they okay. gave us five stars. <laughs> i'm not quite sure how to parse that but i'm gonna say it sounds positive i gotta I'm, i honestly think it's probably one of my friends but um <laughs> I, uh, I, i'm struggling you know what even if it is i'll take it <laughs> before we cut out here i'm gonna uh, remind people to write reviews for us please on audible or Apple, iTunes, is it iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can leave the review there. They help people find the show. Uh, the reviews help people find the show. Give us your top five teen list or, you know, just get on there and tell us how much you love us or how much you hate us. I mean, we'll take that, right? We'll probably yeah, read it here because it'll be entertaining. Yep. Uh, and our website has gone live. www poppedpodcast.com eventually i'm going to be taking a course on how to update the blog so all of the things that i've promised our guests like posting their upcoming show dates and um anything that they wanted linked will go up there as well as pictures and um you can support us through patreon help us keep this show going um or you know obviously keeping a show going this costs money um, and right now we're just kind of paying for it out of pocket because we love it and we'd still do it anyway even if you don't support us but if you yeah. would we would like that um, I mean, Daniel's got a cat to feed so there's that well he's snoring so I don't think yeah. he's going to eat right now well, oh you mean later okay I mean you, you got to buy food for him I got to buy him food yeah hey it's the cat fund right 
Yeah, just give us money. The chaplain. <laughs> give it specificity. Um, yeah, so you can find all kinds of stuff on that website. Please go take take a look at it. We're on all the social media feeds. And that's all I've got for now. How about a goodbye? <laughs> Thank you, right, everyone, everybody. for listening. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's time for the sound table, where you, the listener, get to take part in the discussion. Welcome to the sound table, where we invite friends and fans to discuss the topic of our current podcast episode. Today's discussion will center around the 1985 mega hit, The Breakfast Club. Joining us today are Glenn Thayer, Jason Timothy, Julian Riskus, and Terry Lundwall, all guys I've known since we were in detention in high school together. Uh, wait. Well, actually, we didn't go to high school together, but um, I've known you guys almost that long. Uh, did any of you guys actually go to high school together? Yes. Who all went to high yeah. school together? Terry Glenn and myself. Yep. So Julian's the odd man out? All right. Yeah. But I was going to school near you, or weren't we in the same school? Uh, um, we lived next to each other. We did. We literally lived one street away. And almost well, you're the house other. behind the house behind my house. Oh, that, whatever. Yeah. It was over the fence. Yeah. The well, That's right. Was Ontario? That was but Ontario. I was, yeah. Yeah, I was in Ontario, but but I think for some reason I was going to Upland. So you were probably at Chafee or something. Uh, yeah, I was at Chafee. Yeah. So, well, okay. Yeah. So now we've so, established that we've known anyways, each other forever. Yes, they went to school together. <laughs> and then, of course, Dan, you know, let's not let's let's remember we celebrated our birthdays together. That's and true. I think the the M and M's are still in the wall at the Marriott House. Peanut M and M's. Yes. Yeah, whole, uh, that's a whole other story for boxes. a whole other podcast. Yeah, I can't believe how many boxes of M and M's Sherry had. That was just an insane amount of M&M's. You guys have no idea. Talking toilets, M&M's, it's anarchy. So, yeah, um, and by the way, I have the video. I have the talking toilet. Video. I do remember the talking toilet. I do have it. I have it. All right. For our listeners, it's very possible. I, have, I can't guarantee this because I haven't asked Glenn yet, but it may be possible that that video might appear on one of our sites. So <clears throat> moving on. Uh, so now that we've established, I know you, I've known you guys for a long time. Uh, ben and Tanya don't know you, and some, uh, some or most of our listeners probably don't as well. So if I could get like a very brief little bit about you guys, Glenn, if you wouldn't mind sharing something about yourself. And you're free to plug your websites or anything you've got like that going on right now. I live in Denver, Colorado. I've been living here for about 20 years now. And uh, let's see, still... Uh, still hanging out with everybody and we're all still friends. <laughs> I think that's what's, uh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I still, uh, we all played music together back in the day. We still all do music together. Um, and that's great. And when I'm not doing that, I'm, uh, I do voiceovers for radio and television. And when I get an opportunity, I, uh, take, uh, acting roles for film and television when they show up. Wonderful. And there you go. <laughs> well, if, if anybody's wondering why that voice sounds familiar, it's because it was at the very beginning of this episode. So there you are. <laughs> Wonderful voiceovers. Um, that guy. I knew I recognized that. that it's that guy. <laughs> yes. That guy. Uh, well, Jay, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. 
So uh, I'm also in Denver. Of course, I knew all these guys uh, back in California days. We're all Southern California brats. I pretty much kept revolved around music and pretty much avoided getting a real job for a little while. You know, I make music, I paint a little, and uh, I teach people how to do what I do. And that's kind of where uh, a good amount of the money comes in and a little bit from books and stuff like that. Fabulous. Kudos to the painting, my friend. That is some seriously good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Julian, let's hear a little bit about you, man. Uh, I've got, I don't think there is anything about me. Um, I just... Um, I've been living in a void for the last year and a half or more, you know, but I've been in Hawaii for the last 10 years and then I just relocated to Las Vegas. We've been here just a couple months. I had a business in Hawaii and I sold uh, Aloha wear to visitors and such, but that business went uh, kaput during the pandemic, had to move out here and uh, think about reopening the website where I sell Hawaiian shirts, uh, hawaiianshirtdude.com. That's wonderful. You know, yes, I like that one you're wearing. I was just going to say I hate Hawaiian shirts, but I'm wearing one, so I guess that wouldn't that wouldn't go off very well. <laughs> I never really had it that thing from Hawaiian shirts, but it just kind of happened. Um, anyhow, that's me in a nutshell. All right. <laughs> and you became the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy. Yes, I am the yeah. Hawaiian shirt king. Kind of like the mattress king, but with shirts. But yeah. cooler. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're not the my pillow guy, you're good. Wow. All, right. <laughs> All right. So now that we're done talking right, about thanks. Julian's pillows, uh, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> well, wow. Pretty much a stay-at-home dad. Was doing film and television sound in Los Angeles until uh, my wife moved, or we had to move up to Northern California for her job, and they don't do that up here really. <laughs> so uh, just became a stay-at-home dad, pretty much. So I'm uh, Mr. Mom. Yep. All right. Oh, nice. Uh, there's a film reference in there too. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good movie. Yeah, you know, I try. Well, all right. Now that we have a little context and we know you guys a little bit, let's dive into this rabbit hole. So here's how this is going to work, guys. Daniel, Tanya, and I will each ask a question. And in turn, you will each have a chance to answer it. All right. I'll start us off here. Uh, Glenn. Uh, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of The Breakfast Club? Bali Ringwald. Yep. Very iconic. Do you want me to elaborate? <laughs> you, you can if you'd like. If you wish. Or, if or you it's wish. Just, that's it. You, you could you just know. leave it at that and let the fans I just, wonder. I'll just, leave it at, I'll just leave it at that. I always had a crush on Molly Ringwald, so I was like, there, there you go. So That's true. Fair enough. So many did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Alrighty. Uh, let's see. Jay, uh, same question. Yeah, um, what comes to mind? It's almost always a Bender quote. <laughs> when when I'm I'm thinking of Breakfast Club, he was he was the guy. He wasn't the guy I related to the most. He was the guy that was probably given some of the best lines. Yeah, he definitely was a, possibly the most prominent of all the characters. Like, not even close, bud. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Julian, how about you? When you think about The Breakfast Club, what's the first thing comes to mind? Um, well, I think definitely the song, the theme song, Simple Minds. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Don't you forget about me. That's just the very first thing I think of, always. <laughs> All right. After that, then it's the characters and 
And the fist in the air, right? Yeah, the fist in the air. Yep. And Terry. Actually, it makes me think of high school, just right off the bat. I, I've been in similar situations like that. So, you know, I've done some detention myself. <laughs> All right. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked, I tell you. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it would be Bender. Um, he's like the catalyst. He, he brings everybody out, you know, out of their shell, I guess, you know. This is true. Totally. Good insight. Um, so a lot of people have specific characters that they really identify with in this movie. If you had to pick one or two, who would you say you related to most at that age? Jane, Glenn may be able to speak to this, but maybe Bender a little bit. Maybe. A little bit. Kind of a rebel dude. Not well. I seem like rebel dudes. <laughs> no, more like an outcast, kind of. I mean, not in a bad way, but yeah, 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 a little bit. But but not like the nerd. But like, well, no, a little bit of nerd. Breakfast, a little club. bit of nerd, but not though. The shopping yeah. bag girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you are a little bit of a rocker too, so you know, there's a little bit of that going on. Wow. True. So we have a lot of bender people. Is there anyone who isn't a bender, or are we all bender? Well, I'm definitely not a bender. I'm a Brian meets meets Allison. I'm a straight up Brian, definitely. <laughs> I was a parent's uh, wet dream, you know. I wasn't a fan <laughs> or anything. I wasn't in <laughs> clubs, but um, you know, I was just a good kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dan knew me back then, actually. I think you're a little more than a wet dream because you're here. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was a quote from the movie. I don't know. I know. <laughs> definitely, I, I wanted to be somebody cool, but. And I rewatched it last week, and it's like, no, definitely was a Brian back then. But brains are cool, so yeah. But I was the Brian without the brains, you know. <laughs> I'm just unpopular and kind of not as cool as I wanted to be, you know. You know, it's funny. Um, a few years back, they had the thing where you describe yourself in three movie characters, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Mine, mine had been uh, had uh, Brian in it, so like he's like one of the first characters that I think of over all movies. Wow, you know, so <clears throat> cool. Definitely, kind of feel this one. Uh, yeah, the only you one- also have Sigourney Weaver from Aliens in that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think, and 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 for me, it's definitely going to be a, uh, you know, a cross between you, you take Brian because my parents thought I was, you know, golden child. Grades were not there. It was not the brains thing. Um, yeah, Terry can attest to this one. Yeah, is, is I pretended to to my parents and everybody that I was Brian. Bender was pretty much who we relate to, I think, just because of the way, you know, home life was and everything else. Then definitely Allison in there with trying to go, okay, let's kind of keep to ourselves and kind of keep everything else, all the rest of the problems kind of to ourselves. It's it's kind of this, I would say, just a blend of of many of them. It's not just one. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I don't think it's I don't think we see just one character and it being one-sided. I, I think it's definitely three-dimensional and people take from from all the characters that are in there. 
I just did, did definitely didn't 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 relate as much to Andy because just wasn't into sports. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling that would be an underrepresented uh, demographic here. <laughs> yeah, I actually did that though. I, I was on the high school football team and and did some of that stuff. So uh, did you tape anybody's butt cheeks together? No, I did no. not. No. If no. Well, there was that one time, Terry. <laughs> wait, I missed that. What? There was that one time. I said there was that one time. Oh wait, no wait, no wait. Who was it that got taped to the flagpole naked? Who was oh. it that got? I, I can't remember who it was by name. I just remember by face. That they but, duct taped. Yeah. So they duct taped they, this they kid literally, naked yeah, that did to the flagpole. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and here we thought this was farce. <laughs> hey, that, that's this is real high school, folks. Yeah. Yep. Well, that said, um, nice segue here. <laughs> Since um, we've already kind of determined who you might have been like as a character, this is a, a different question because I'm going to ask which character you actually liked the most. So, Glenn, we'll start with you. I I think there's two different people that I relate to. I relate to Carl. Because because he just because he says like you know because when when he he tells Vern like he's like dude you're a dick you know <laughs> and it's like it's pretty much you know he, yes. and he's he's saying that and then the other thing is the kind of I guess say the the frustration of Brian okay. really kind of kind of hit where it's like I fully get that. Where you're trying to to do something to make other people happy, but you're miserable, and that that is something that I related to. Yeah, I think I think anybody can relate to that. That's that's a good good answer there. Jay, your favorite character in the film doesn't necessarily have to be the one that you most identified with. Just your favorite character. Still, my favorite character is Brian because I see it's such a complete depiction of my experience of teenage life in high school. He plays that role so perfectly. The inability to really share anything that's cool about him. He's too concerned about fitting in uh, his shyness. Uh, the one thing I don't, didn't have with myself, and I know this is not about relating, but you know, I, I was never the perfectionist that he was. But I was a shy person that, you know, the freaking cheerleaders would certainly avoid. And there's there's stories to prove it as well. <laughs> um, so I just thought he was a well-written character. Richard play a, played a hell of a role, though. So he's Hagen definitely Hagen. a great character in it as well. You know, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, guys, I think we're retitling this episode. Hagadaga. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay with that. Yeah. Julian, same question to you. I liked Carl when he mentioned Carl because now watching it older, I really kind of dug his, his vibe, yeah. his whole thing. Just, you know, I run the school. I know your secrets. And, <laughs> and, I, and when I was much younger, I actually ran my own janitorial business. So I can oh, kind of relate. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I like the Ali Sheedy character a lot. You know, yeah, that for sure. Cool. And I don't know. That was the other one. You know, like, well, which who do you relate to? You know, I don't know the right. guy, but then the outcast. You know, I'm not sure about the way that movie wrapped up and her like changing up her style and everything. Yeah, for the jock or whatever. It was kind of like an Olivia Newton-John move. You know, 
<laughs> not sure how. I, I don't know. I know exactly what you mean. I know you haven't yeah, heard but the Olivia Newton John thing. That was flipped, though. You know, if we're going if we're going Greece, that was flipped. Like she came out at the end, and True. she was like, "Hell yeah!" I would I would agree with you. Allison was was I I liked the the gothic dark Allison. Yeah, I like preferred yeah. that. And then when she changed it up, I was like, ah, really? And then she started dating the jock and everything. And I don't know, it was a weird ending, just all the way around. You know, the prom queen and the, and the yeah. I know you guys haven't heard the episode yet, but this is almost straight out of the episode. So <laughs> yeah, still like I don't that. know. I don't get it. Some of them those choices, but it's high school. I mean, we all make stupid choices. What is that? I don't know. I didn't make any stupid choices in high school. I don't know what you're talking about. Luckily, I, yeah. obviously you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> After high school, Dan, <laughs> you're a, you're hundred percent right. <laughs> so, uh, Terry, it is now to you. The ball is in your court, my friend. I did love Carl. Just the way he kind of owned him in the, in that scene where they were bagging on him and he just had the, you guys have no idea what yeah. I know about you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just love that personality where he just kind of, I loved his character, the way he played it cool, the way he just played it like that. And I did like Allison. I think that quiet type who kind of sits back a little bit and then kind of pays attention and then we'll start to speak and come out and talk a little bit later. But I also liked Bender because he was just a stone cold dick. I didn't realize at the time that he was actually saying all the things we all want to say. Yes, exactly. Because when Bingo. I was younger, I focused so much on liking Brian that you know Bender was a total dick. But as as you get a little older, you're like, yeah, you know what? If I could go back, I would have played it a bit more. Yeah. Like he just pushed everyone's buttons. He he knew and he knew what buttons to push. He knew how to get to every single one of those people. Yeah. So to get it to get into their brain and and bring them out of their shell, I guess, you know. I love that. And did you and did you catch the the ultimate phrase from Bender in the beginning that then Bart Simpson claimed? Oh, right. Eat my shorts. Oh, right. The first thing. Eat, Eat my, my shorts. shorts. Yeah. What did you say? Eat my shorts. Or he did this. You just got another Saturday. Oh, you want another one, mister? Oh. <laughs> that's it. That's three. Now I got you. And then eventually it was, I own you for two months. Yeah. But then Brian corrects him. No, that was that was seven. That, that was seven. Yeah. <laughs> Here's something. Can we talk about the the Bowie quote at the beginning of the movie. Sure. That gets shattered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just don't I maybe it's you know over my head or something, but I just don't get it. So I want to hear from you guys. What what, what do you think is what's the deal with that quote? I don't Ali Sheedy picked that quote personally and she handed it to um John Hughes, who looked at it and said, Oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, shook his head. And uh, walked away, and she never heard anything about it again until the film premiered, and it was at the very beginning of the film. Hmm. But it sort of does mirror these, you know, these children that you spit on are quite aware of what they're going through. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a great quote for the film. Is that the, well, thing the reason we're all just going? Everyone's going through their own thing, you know. Well, it gets wrapped up. You know, the the big piece that gets wrapped up is the conversation with uh, Carl and. Uh, and Richard, when he's when Carl's like, he's like, well, you know, these 
are these kids going to take care of you? You know, they're not going to take care of you when you're older. Yeah. Is that what the expectation is? And he's talking about him going, you know, because they're like, yeah, these kids have changed. And he's like, no, you've changed. Mm -hmm. It's the kids haven't changed. You've changed. And kind of put it there. It's like, you know, these are the kids that are going to be running the world. And this is what it, and I think that's where that quote kind of comes in. It kind of comes full circle there within that conversation. And then, of course, at the same time, then everybody, you know, and I don't know what happened with John Hughes when they just quickly, like, wrapped it up. It's like, everybody's hooking up. Everybody's happy. Boom. And and, and moving on. It's like right after that, it's, you know, Carl gives uh, Richard the come to Jesus conversation and then everybody's hooking up. You know, it's like, okay. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of what I see in that quote. That's I think that's where that uh, that's what I see. I don't know what you what, what you guys think about it. Yeah, I think I think it's I think the quote is is directly what Bowie meant when he wrote it. I think that was his that was his audience. These kids are not going to be they're not going to fit into your little box that you've created. The kids are changing, and the kids are all right. Well, that totally fits the theme of the entire film, if if you look at right, it that way. Right. Yeah. It allowed everyone to evolve within one day, which to me that makes it a really incredible script. Here's something that's interesting, though. After you know revisiting the film after many years, because I mean, obviously, I think all of us saw it back when we were in high school. But looking at it, that the the scene where they're all kind of revealing who they are and all the issues and. You know, Brian says he was trying to kill himself, but, you know, it was a flare gun. You know, it's kind of like, uh, and, but they're, but they're kind of bearing their souls, kind of like, hey, this is, this is who I am. This is what's screwed up in my life. And everybody's kind of doing that. Then Claire just kind of says, you know, it's like, this is not going to be, you know, it's like, well, Brian goes, like, what about Monday? What's Monday going to look like? And Claire's like, nothing, nothing's going to change. We're all going to walk down the hall and pretend we don't know each other. And it's this whole thing. It's like, but why? Why is that the case? And it kept coming down to, well, my friends won't understand. And it's like, well, your friends are douchebags. And isn't that all high school, right? It's all about trying to be cool and making sure you have your friend group. Because if you're out of your friend group, it's like no one has your back in high school. And so it kind of, I wonder how many people picked up on that. Because I know in high school, I didn't pick up on that. I watched the movie and I was like, yeah, it was cool. And now I watch it and I was like, oh, it was like, they're saying stuff here that I didn't pick up on. And and I think that there's a really important theme as far as being yourself and being accepting of other people. And I think that was really, it was like, a, it was kind of a, a wow moment. Yeah. yeah. You know, every character revealed every other character within themselves from beginning to end of the movie you saw pretty much all the characters evolve into different aspects of all the other characters. I think that's what kind of makes it a bit of a magical, timeless movie. Julian, do you have a favorite line? Probably, um, who is the, 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 the jock? What was his name? That's Andrew. Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Clark. Andrew? Andrew Clark. Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, anyways, I think Bender was asking him, they were all saying like, oh, what can we do? You know, and Molly Ringwald was like, look what I can do. And she put, like, her lipstick on using her boobs or something. I, oh, that's yeah. right, yeah. To be all impressed for some reason. Anyways, he asked uh, the jock, and the jock said, I can tape all your butts together. <laughs> <laughs> Why he was in there. 
It's yeah. just a stupid reply, but it's <laughs> every time. I can take all your butts together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, he was still making something humorous out of his plight, as it were. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, definitely memorable. Fun. Thank you. Jay, how about you? Do you have a favorite line? No, there, there's there's a couple. Andrew actually said this other quote that I thought was was going to be said. Richard comes in and and because the, the door slams shut and said, "Who did this?" Everyone's being quiet and they've just been in an argument, right? So you'd think that they're going to like completely throw throw each other under the bus. But Andrew's like, "What would someone <laughs> What would someone be doing with the screw, sir?" Yeah. yeah. Um, which and, and then he's told to shut up. You know, just like he's he's actually even though he's like the star child, he pisses off Richard. You know, which is like so he, he goes against his his role of being you know the 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 model student. So I liked that quote quite a bit, and I also liked the the quote "Not even close, bud." All righty. Okay, Glenn, do you have a favorite line? Well, there were two that I enjoyed. One was from Andrew, and I think it was, we're all pretty bizarre, just some of us are better at hiding it. Oh, wow, yeah. And, and that was a very poignant quote. You know, it was one that yeah. was like, oh, it was like, it's it's very relatable. The other one I, I really liked was uh, from Vendor. And he's like, does, you know, when he was hollering at, uh, at Richard and he's like, does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. That was the original title of the episode. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. All right. Manilow's wardrobe. <laughs> That's awesome. Terry, I'm going to put you on the spot again here. If you could pick one line from this movie that's your favorite, what line would that be? Don't mess with the bull, you'll get the horns. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Yep. Hagadaga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so funny. Richard Vernon, that character, what was it, 35 years ago now, made me cringe then, and he still makes me cringe. <laughs> well, that just means he did a great job. He like, did an outstanding job. actors that I hate, I always end up being super impressed with because if they make me hate them that much, they're amazing. So. Yes. Don't yeah. you just see him introducing himself? Hi, I'm Dick. Richard. From <laughs> <Long>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Tanya, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so we kind of already covered this a bit, um, but just we'll be maybe a little bit more succinct with it. We'll start with Glenn. Is there a specific theme or message in the movie that really resonated with you? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll go back to the the Andrew quote of everybody being bizarre and, and really when they all sat around and were kind of just bearing their souls to each other is that was really something to, to note that, yeah, everybody has something. If you yeah. think you know somebody, you probably don't or you're still there's there are things that you are missing. That was a landmark moment, I think, in the film. I think you're absolutely right. It's great. Well said. All right, Jay, what about you? There's something about the movie that made what no one wanted to take part in, Saturday School, and made it maybe one of the most memorable days of their high school experience and experiencing it with people that they would have never expected to and having a, a deeper understanding of so many different types of characters. I think that's the thing that I really got because... I've been put in situations, I remember in high school, where 
you know, I was mashed up with different people that I didn't know anything about. And those ended up being some of the more special uh, experiences that I had in high school. That's how we met, Jay. You remember? Is that that. how you guys met? That's how we met in Spanish class. And there was nobody. There was nobody. So it's the Spanish teacher is like, okay, everybody pair up for this exercise. And everybody's, you know, connecting with people. And I'm like, okay, I don't know anybody in this class. And we're in one of those big, it's like the band room that has the different levels that go all the way up. They had it in the band room. And Jay's on the other side of the room. And I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, there's nobody over here. And Jay, I see Jay on the other side. And he's looking around. He's like, oh, shit, there's nobody over here. Yeah, we both raised <laughs> our hands. So, so we're like, uh, we don't have anybody. And they're like, okay, you too. And that's it. That's how it happened. Yeah, we ended up sitting next to each other the rest, rest of the year. And that's what actually started our friendship. You still speak All Spanish. Right. Oh. <laughs> Never did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julian, what about you? Everyone's home life is unsatisfying, you know? And it's like we already talked about. I think that was one of the major things in the film was just, you know, everybody's going through through something. Everyone's going through something of their own drama, um, trying to fit in. You know, um, what is that guy, uh, Richard, he says to Bender, he says, you ought to spend a little more time trying to make something out of yourself and a little less time trying to impress everybody. You know, but when we're in high school, I think we just want to impress. We want to fit in and um, we do whatever we think we have to to make that happen, sort of, even if it's, you know, not talking to your friend because your other friends think he's a nerd or something, you know? Oh yeah. Totally. They all, all these groups and these cliques, they all, they all suffer from that, you know, that brings it all out in the film, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like everyone, especially at that age is just looking for external validation. And I think that, yeah, that, right? portrays that just really, to really look well. at me. I exist, you know, I'm not invisible. All right. And then Terry. Um, I think it speaks to what everyone else is talking about, but I mean, it's, it's a movie that obviously everyone is different. Um, but at the same time, everyone's kind of the same, everyone's insecure. Everyone has their own way of expressing themselves to, to hide that insecurity. But when it comes down to it, they all kind of get each other at the end. Everyone has their, their moments of, you know, this is the way I am and why. And everyone shares that. So I think the, the common message is you're not much different than the people that you think are a lot different than you. And if you're a nerd, you're going to have to be the one to do all the work. You're right. The paper. He didn't do it for everybody. He just wrote one perfect essay. Yeah. Indeed. Which was smart. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering if you were to meet any of the actors in this film, Who'd you like to meet and why? Well, I did once meet Judd Nelson and uh, I had a long conversation with him for about an hour or so. He was drunk as a skunk. (laughs) 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 I think we both were, but he was like belligerently just insane. It was hard to keep a conversation (laughs) with him. It was like at three o'clock in the morning outside of a strip bar in Hollywood, you know. 
But um, it was, um, he was very interest, interesting. And he's probably the one that I would want to meet just because his character is so, I don't know a lot about him either though, really. Like what, what else has he done? Was he any other movies? I mean, I know he was From the head. one or two things. And uh, St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah. yeah. I sat behind, uh, was it Michael Anthony or Anthony Michael? Anthony Michael, 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 Michael Hall. Hall. Anthony Michael Hall at the, uh, what was it? Went to this uh, screening for uh, Edward Scissorhands and the cast was there. So he was sitting right in front of me and I did say hello, but didn't have a conversation with the dude or anything. Does that count? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> sure. And if you want, if you could just call those guys up and ask them if they want to come on the podcast. Oh yeah, sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> Remember me from that one time? Yeah, I sat behind you at Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> yeah. I said hello. Anything that I could ever do for you, just don't hesitate and call. Well, I'm calling. Jay, if there was an actor in this film you could meet, who is yeah, it? Don't say Carl. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think like who I would really. Ali Sheedy, I would love to meet. Anthony Michael, here's the thing. I got really bummed when he beefed up and kind of started playing asshole roles and stuff like that. Because I like an Edward just Scissor felt Man. like he was one of yeah, me. And Edward all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like, yeah, in Ed- Edward Scissorhands, I just felt like, like you've changed. He's no longer one of us, you know. Sort of <laughs> I've been betrayed. Um, but I think uh, of all of them, Probably Emilio Estevez would be a really cool guy to meet. Like he's got a really great body of work. Obviously he's got a family history sort of thing. There's just a lot going on with him that, you know, I think a few beers with him would be pretty, pretty awesome. That's right. true. His family is, would be a, that would take more than a night to go through that. Yeah. Yeah, and you could get your butt cheeks taped together. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a double win. <laughs> a double win. Uh, what was that other podcast, Daniel, you were talking about? You, you, his name escaped you, and it was Emilio Estevez. I remember I texted you. That's right. Yeah. I can't that remember was, what. I think it was the Better Off Dead. It was Better Off Dead. We were talking about the line. Now, it's a damn shame when people be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. <laughs> and that line had been ripped oh, off and put right. in the movie Men at Work and right. begged. Ben rem- remembered the title, yes. but yes, you're absolutely right. Good memory, That's man. Right. That was another great Estevez <laughs> film joint, as they call joint. it. Joint, yeah. And uh, kudos on the callback to a previous episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> hey, somebody, somebody listened. We have a listener. All right, <laughs> long time listener, but first time participant. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's killing me. All right. Uh, Glenn, same question to you, man. If you were able to meet any of the actors from this film, who would you meet and why would you like to meet them? Well, I mean, it would be interesting to, you know, hang out and have a couple beers with Emilio Estevez and, you know, talk about, you know, his dad, you know, Martin Sheen and his brother, Charlie. And, you know, uh, that that would be interesting. You know, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I'd love to meet Molly Ringwald as well. And the funny thing is Molly Ringwald actually looks now, looks like Ali Sheedy did then. She does. Yeah. Huh. If you go onto her IMDb page and you look at her, she looks, her picture on IMDb looks very similar to Ali Sheedy. I wonder like if Ali Sheedy, Sheedy gave her huh. a makeover. And that's <laughs> <you know? laughs> Thank you guys all for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. 
And uh, it's really great to see all of you guys again. Um, we'll talk to you probably a little bit after you know we hit the the end record on this. And uh, that's it. Thanks again. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks a lot. This was fun to bring back. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, quite a bit of that sound table was edited out due to time considerations. We're going to put the unedited version up on our YouTube page, and we will be putting a lot more content on that YouTube page once I get around to editing the previous episodes for video. Also look to our Patreon page. We're going to be uploading content there as well that won't be available through the normal podcast or through our YouTube page. Coming up next, we're going to do a bonus episode with our top five teen movies. It was supposed to be in the Breakfast Club episode. However, we ran out of time. Also, we're going to be doing a Halloween bonus episode where we go down our top five Halloween movies. So stay tuned. Popped will be back soon. Popped can be found on most of your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you like what you heard and would like to support the show, hop on over to Patreon and become a member. For all other questions or content, check out poppedpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go get a glass of water real quick because I have a little, like, throat itch, and I will be right back. Okay. Sorry, guys. It's all right. We can edit this out. Or we can keep it in.